Hi, this is Rob Carmage, and we are doing a study through the book of Ephesians. You can visit me at www.robcartledge.com. Now, let's turn in our Bible to Ephesians. We're continuing in our Ephesians study. We've gone right through Ephesians 1, right through Ephesians 2, right through Ephesians 3. And we are going to be, by the end of this sermon, halfway through Ephesians 4. And all of these Ephesian studies are online in podcast, and nearly all of them are on in video too, so you can follow it through. I think Johnny creates a playlist of the Ephesian study from start to finish. I don't think I know. There's a, yeah, there's a playlist of all of them backing up on each other. So Ephesians 4, verse 11. Just before I read this, I'm backing up on what I uh, preached last time, which was a few weeks ago. The reason is, is because what was written there ties in with what we're about to study today. So if you don't hear that again, you won't see it in context. So that's why we're going back on it. But I'm not preaching over the same scriptures again. Uh, so 11, it said, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then it says... This is what we're looking at today. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking truth in love, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Last time we discussed the five offices of the church, which was the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor and the teacher, and we saw how they are distinctly different offices. And we also discussed how uh, too many people come out of seminaries today and call themselves pastors. And whether they have a pastor's heart or not, they all seem to get the title pastor, Mm -hmm. um, where we see that there are five offices and we should be actively looking at which office we are really called to be uh, and praying about that and seeking God so that we can walk in the correct office that's actually designed for us. And if more of the church walked in in their proper office, the church would be a far more effective uh, institution. But as a result, we've we've seen just an abundance of pastors. Everyone's a pastor. (laughs) And uh, but the other offices aren't being walked in, which is a problem in the church today. We also understood from Scripture that these offices were instituted in the church for the equipping of the saints so that they would reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and they would become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. So these offices are for us, for the church. It's for the, for the believers so that the believers would be strengthened to become all that they were meant to become. I believe that if we really take this seriously, if the church really gets into this and says, okay, let's find out who we really are in Christ, we're going to be a far more powerful uh, institution on this planet. 
Now, we will look further today at what we should expect to take place in the body of Christ if these officers truly function in the church. So if they're really functioning, let's see what the Bible says will take place in us. Verses 14 to 16, verse 4 goes into that we will mature in Christ. And we all need to mature in Christ, don't we? Uh, Verse 15 says we'll grow up into Christ. Now, we won't become a Christ. I want to make that clear because there's a lot of teaching out there that you become Jesus and you become you know, gods, it's, that's not what it's saying at all. We'll be, grow up into his likeness, into his image. But I'm going to go a bit further with that too in a minute. Verse 16 says that the church will also be built up in love. So by its love, by the love we have for one another and also our love for the lost, the people that don't know Jesus, all of that love will build us up and strengthen the church and make it an effective witness in the world. See, there's a lot of churches out there that really don't love one another and there's a lot of churches out there that don't love the lost. They'd rather go out and tell the lost how bad they are constantly but not really reach them by loving them. That's another issue. And sometimes we can fall prey to that as Christians. We can get sort of angry and to the point of nearly hating people, you know, and, and then pray for them, but in an effort to sort of, you know, point out their faults rather than sincerely love them. And sincere love is one of those things. It's a, it's a hard thing to walk in. And I say this to me as well, as I always say. It's, I'm saying it to me because I fall prey to that. I just want you to see the Amplified version because the Amplified is simply that. It, it takes what's in the Greek. It gives us more meaning, more depth of meaning. It's not the easiest version to read as a flowing Bible because it doesn't flow but it's a great version to get deeper meaning out of the uh, text so as a a text based Bible it's fantastic and so we're going to look at uh, verses uh, 14 to 16 again and it says this so then we may no longer be children tossed like ships to and fro between chance gusts of teaching and wavering with every changing wind of doctrine the prey of the cunning and cleverness of unscrupulous men who are gamblers engaged in every shifting form of trickery in inventing errors to mislead. Rather, let our lives lovingly express truth in all things, speaking truly, dealing truly, living truly. Enfolded in love, let us grow up in every way and in all things into him who is the head, even Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. For because of him, the whole body, which is the church in all its various parts, closely joined and firmly knit together by the joints and ligaments with which it is supplied, when each part, with power adapted to its need, is working properly in all its functions, grows to full maturity, building itself up in love. So that's the same scriptures we just read then. And uh, if you compare that to the NIV or the New King James, there's a lot more there, isn't there? You can see it. I thought I'd just draw from that just for this sermon today. So we're going to look at Ephesians 4.14. It says, So then we may no longer be children, tossed like ships, to and fro between chance gusts of teaching and wavering with every changing wind of doctrine, the prey of the cunning and cleverness of unscrupulous men, gamblers engaged in every shifting form of trickery in inventing errors to mislead. Now, unscrupulous men, unscrupulous is is having or showing no moral principles. Uh, And they're not honest and they're not fair. Unscrupulous men. So if we have true teachers, 
this is what it's saying. If we have true teachers and pastors in the church, because you've got to remember it's because of the pastors, teachers, and evangelists that God's instituted. They are instituted for the equipping of the saints to build them up so that the church can go on strongly so it doesn't get misled by deceptive teaching. But what we've seen in the 20th century, and actually it was prior to that in the 19th century, um, even in the 18th century to a degree, but there was an increase as it went along from about the 18th to 19th to the 20th century and into the 21st century, an increase in deceptive teaching, an increase of deceptive theology that's been twisted and changed. It's changed the Bible. They've even got uh, religions out there like the Jehovah's Witnesses that have gone and grabbed the scriptures and done their own version, the New World Translation. And they've changed what the actual Greek really says to suit their own theology. And you've got Christian dolphins that do similar things, to, but they don't actually change the Bible they read. They just change the meaning of what it says. You know what I mean? And they cleverly deceive people. And we're getting that in, in so many forms. Even Islam has done that with the Word of God. It's gone and changed the meaning of what our Bible says through their deception. But the problem lies is when you get in mainstream churches and we've got that going on. You know, I've talked to Lutheran ministers who have deceptively changed what the Bible says. Start saying we don't take all these accounts, historical accounts of Israel, literally. They're symbolic. You know, you hear of the emergent church, which has transformed the gospel. Uh, You hear of the seeker-sensitive churches that have gone and transformed the message. If we have true teachers and pastors in the church who hold firmly to the doctrines as presented in the Bible, who hold firmly to the Bible, and who don't twist Scripture to suit their own ideas. So, and this is how it happens. You get a, uh, someone gets an idea, they get a revelation, they get a new belief, and it's conflicting with the standard you know, teachings in the church. And they think to themselves, okay, if I can get Bible scriptures that back up what I think right now, I can make this a teaching that people will accept. So they find scriptures in the Bible and they align them somehow very cleverly They're deceptive teachers. The Bible talks about it. They're unscrupulous men, deceptively teaching the people. Like Charles Taze Russell, the founder of of the Jehovah Witnesses, was a Freemason, a high-level Freemason. He was a deceptive teacher that got the Bible and he twisted it for his own means. We've got to be aware of this, that there's men out there who twist the Scriptures to suit their own ideas, it suit their doctrines, they create new doctrines, they create doctrines out of their ambitions, the things they want to achieve in life. If they want to be millionaires, you get these prosperity preachers, they take the gospel and they tell you that if you give to my ministry, you're going to get a massive return. If you give me 10 bucks, you're going to get 100 bucks back from God. If you give me 100 bucks, you're going to get $1,000 back from God. And they deceive the people and they, they cleverly teach the people these theologies. And it's, it's shocking because... Millions of people uh, uh, chase after it because if you get told that there's this surefire investment strategy, you put ten bucks in, you get a hundred bucks back. You know who wouldn't put ten bucks in if it's true? You know, but is that what the Bible says? Right? God will provide all our needs according to His glorious riches in the kingdom of God, but He's not going to honor you if you throw a hundred thousand dollars in the offering and give you a million back. That's not how He works. He's, he doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. You know, you might throw $100,000 in the offering and then you're broke for the next 10 years. And God's just testing you to see if what was your motive. Were you honouring me with that offering or were you just doing it to get a return? Does this make sense? He's not a bank. 
He's not a, well. He's not yeah. Not a bank. He's not a. He's this like I said, a surefire investment strategy, and that's how people are uh, Christians are treating God now. God's just going to give me what I want, whatever I want. I want a new Ferrari. God's going to give it. So they start praying for Ferraris. And there's teachers out there that actually teach that you should pray for the things you want, you know. And this is a worrying time in history because it wasn't always like this. It's a modern phenomenon. And there's also Christians out there who create doctrines around their fears. There's a lot of people out there that fear a lot of stuff and then they create doctrines that God says that he doesn't want us to go through suffering or God doesn't want us to go through any kind of tribulation or, or he's going to remove us from the planet just before the tribulation begins, even though the Bible clearly says it's after. And they create their doctrines around it using symbology and analogies and typologies and things like that. But the Bible doesn't clearly say that at all. They just read into the text and create, and it's all because of fear and then millions and millions of people chase after that because they want that as well, you know. But the reality is it doesn't say it in Scripture. So I'm always about saying what it says in Scripture. If it doesn't say it, I don't say it. Amen? That's, I think that's the fairest bet. I think that's the best way to approach it. And if it does say it, you also got to say it. <laughs> sometimes that can be hard because there's some things in Scripture that can be hard to say sometimes. And now, if we have good pastors and teachers in the church that teach according to the truth of Scripture, then the church will become mature and not fall prey to deception. So I'm praying that, you know, my preaching to you guys and through the internet, through to YouTube, and uh, I've got a lot of uh, people around the world that listen to my messages, I'm praying that through these messages that they will become mature and you guys will become mature in Christ and not fall prey to deception. Because the Bible tells us in the last days there's going to be a sweeping deception. And it's going to sweep through the church. And it says that the love of most will grow cold and there's going to be a massive falling away in the body of Christ. A massive falling away. And uh, we don't want to be part of that, do we? We don't want to be part of those that fall away from Jesus in the last times because it's going, that's going to be a, a shocking time when you see renowned Christians giving up the faith. You know, people that you know that profess Christ, suddenly they're no longer Christian and they're following the crowd. You know, becoming part of the broad road that leads to destruction. So we have to be aware that there is this sweeping deception that is coming. And it has been coming. It's been coming for, for years. And it's already capturing the hearts of many, many sincere Christians. And when I say sincere, they sincerely are following their, their leaders, but they have been deceived in what they believe. Paul, when speaking to Timothy, he wrote this. He said, 2 Timothy 4, 3 to 4, it says, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Men will not put up with sound doctrine. And that means that if you're preaching sound doctrine, if you're preaching truly from the Bible, there'll be a lot of people that won't want to listen to you. They're going to say, come on, man, hell? You're telling me there's a hell? Oh, God's a God of love. He wouldn't throw someone into hell. So they reject that teaching. Anyone who teaches that. Repentance, what you mean, um, I have to repent of my sin. I have to give up my sin just to follow your God. I'm not going to accept that. So there's churches around that don't preach repentance. And so there's Christians around that sin all they want to do, live their wretched life and still believe they're going to get saved. And this is going on and on and on. So Paul said this, For the time will come 
when men will not put up with sound doctrine, instead to suit their own desires, they will gather around themselves a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. So there's going to be a lot of teachers out there. You know, I can give you a list of names of teachers that will preach a, a, a gospel that is going to be very politically correct. It's going to sound perfect, like the President of America would listen to it. The, you know, the presidents of many countries will find it acceptable to play in their country because it's politically correct. But you preach the true gospel, it's not politically correct, according to the way our world functions now. It's going to offend. The gospel always is offended. Paul said this is how he knows he, that he's preaching the true gospel. He's still being persecuted. He, he saw persecution as a gauge of how true he was to the word. So if he wasn't getting, you know, bashed up and beaten and stoned and, and you know, thrown in prison and, and uh, you know, put in stocks and whipped, and, then he would be thinking, what's wrong? I mustn't be preaching the truth. The word of God tells us that he went, his whole life was just filled with that sort of stuff. And that was his gauge that he's doing the right thing. <laughs> you know, we'd be thinking something's wrong. Lord, if I preach the right thing, I'm getting whipped right now. Well, that's what happened to Jesus anyway. Well, that's what happened to Jesus, yeah. But well, we've got to take it from the, the founders of the church. All of them, except for John, all the 12 disciples, were all martyred for their faith. And it says that thousands and thousands of early Christians died for the faith. And they did not recount of the name of Jesus, even though they were unfairly treated. You know, they were terrible things. If you read the Fox's Book of Martyrs, it will blow your mind what the early Christians had to go through, right to the present day too. They say on average about 350,000 Christians dying a year because of their faith in Christ. And currently there are hundreds of thousands of Christians in prisons around the world all there because of this faith. And Jesus says, let that be a witness to you that you're in me. That you go through these trials and hardships and, and tribulations. Well, other faiths sort of get a, a, a partial persecution, but Christianity on the whole gets a total persecution. It's where it's preached truly. Mm-hmm. If it's tr- preached truly, that's why I think that you know in Australia the church hasn't been persecuted because I think in a lot of respects the church isn't preaching the truth. Because the moment you start preaching the truth, people get their nose out of joint. Okay, but it says, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around themselves a great number of teachers to say what the itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. They'd rather believe a myth. That's why I've I've heard Christians who say, I believe in reincarnation. And why? Because it sounds good. If you go to a true Hindu, reincarnation is a curse. It's not a good thing, it's a bad thing. To be reincarnated again and again and again and have to go through this wretched life over and over and over and over and over. You know, resurrection, that's the truth. You'll be resurrected if you believe in Jesus and you'll be resurrected into an imperishable body that will never die again and you'll receive the kingdom of God and you'll walk with Jesus for eternity. That's a hope. That's a hope, not not reincarnation. And if you've lived a bad life on earth, you get reincarnated in a lesser form. You know, that's why in the Hindu faith, before the Christians went to India, if there were people that, you know, born blind or or whatever, they they were treated badly. They weren't looked after. They weren't put in hospital and helped. They were treated badly. They were beggars on the street. And the reason is, is because they think that was a just retribution for a life they've once lived badly. 
Well, when the Christians got there, this is why a lot of Indians really uh, turned to Jesus, is because the Christians came and had um, mercy on them and compassion, and they built them hospitals. And uh, the Indians were like, what? You know, you're putting us in hospitals, you're looking after us? Yes. You know, we've never been looked after like this. I believe that we are living in that time which Paul prophesied about 2,000 years ago, the time when there's going to be these itching ear preachers that will be telling people exactly what they want to hear. As Paul said to the Ephesians that they are unscrupulous men, gamblers engaged in every shifting form of trickery and they invent errors to mislead. If you listen to Joe Schimmel very often, you'll find that he'll uncover so many teachings in the Christian church. He'll point them out really, really clearly and how they are misleading thousands. These ministers don't preach on sin. Or repentance, they teach that holiness is recommended but not imperative, and that they don't mention hell except as a joke. It's no joke. No one laughs in hell. Ephesians 4.15 says, Rather, let our lives lovingly express truth in all things, and this is how this truth should be expressed. We should speak truly, we should deal truly, and we should live truly. And this is important. Most translations just say speaking truth in love or its equivalent, but the Amplified, however, gets more of the Greek. We should lovingly express truth in all things, lovingly. Sometimes we can do it unlovingly. We've got to always do it in love when we help someone understand what we believe or correct them or whatever. It should always be in love. So it's saying that in any and every situation to be loving and truthful, and it says speaking truly, and that's our words, our words should be graceful. We should deal truly in our relationships and our business dealings. We should always be dealing with people truly and we should live truly in our lifestyle. Our lifestyle should reflect Jesus. So when people look at our lives, they should see Christ in it. That should be conviction for many, I believe. Ephesians 4.15b says, Enfolded in love, let us grow up in every way and in all things into him who is the head. That's Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. And I like the word enfolded. It wasn't in the other translations, but we should be enfolded in the love of Christ. That means we should be surrounded and enveloped like a king with his army around him. You know, when the king is centred in his army, he's pretty protected, isn't he? He's covered. And so our army should be love. Love should be all, all around us. You know, and sometimes I, I can go out into a meeting or something, I can feel that sort of coming from me. Other times I can f feel very devoid of that. Sometimes I can feel, you know, the complete opposite, like I'm nearly harsh to be with. So what we've got to do is we've got to put love on every day, don't we? We've got to be enveloped in love every day. And, and not, I'm not talking about sinful, lustful love, which is, you know, going to corrupt us. And it's not, that's not love anyway, that's lust. I'm talking about love, a sincere love and respect and honour of other people that we meet, regardless of their opinions and the way they think. And we should always approach every situation as that as our base. Amen? And we are to grow up in all things into him. That means that in every area of our Christian life, we are to grow up into the likeness and image of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. So we should become, in a sense, a representation of him on, our, on this planet. That's why he, the word says that we are his ambassadors, as if he is making his appeal to men through us. And we know that if, if we're called the body of Christ, that we are his body, that means, in a sense, when we are a corporate group like we are now, we are Jesus' actual body. 
Because Jesus wouldn't say, you're my body, unless we are his body. And the reason he can say, we can say that together we are Christ to the world is because the Holy Spirit lives in each one of us. And, if, and that same Holy Spirit lived in Jesus, or lives in Jesus, I shouldn't say lived, lives in him now. Mm-hmm. So as we are enveloped in the Holy Spirit, we're enveloped in love, we are a corporate united group uh, body, we are Jesus on the planet. Do you know what I mean? That's how we see it. We, we are not Jesus on our own. We're not single Jesus walking around and everyone worship me, I'm the Messiah. You know, we can't take this teaching and twist it, which is what some teachers do. But we are a representation of, his, of him. And therefore, let that convict us. Because if we don't have the grace of Christ in our life, if we're not walking in that love, if we're not walking in that, that uh, purity that we know Jesus was, then let that convict us and say, hey, well, something's got to change here. Something's got to change in me. I've got to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. Amen? Amen. This in no way advocates that we become Christ, is which what I just said. So Ephesians 4.16, For because of him the whole body, which is the church and all its various parts, closely joined and firmly knit together by the joints and ligaments with which it is supplied. This is how the body of Christ functions. Now, he's talking about getting down to the ligaments and the joints which unite us as a body. Because if you look at a body, um, an anatomical drawing, the body is joined together by joints and ligaments, isn't it? The muscles are held in place by ligaments. The, the bones are held in place by joints. Now, if we didn't have joints and ligaments, the body would just fall apart. Amen? Right, so he's using that analogy and going further with it. The church and all its parts is described as a body of believers who are knit together by joints and ligaments. So I believe that we can understand from this that these joints and ligaments which join us together, and they, the word says which it is supplied. See, back up. Are supplied by Jesus Christ himself and through his intercession. That's one thing, which he continually offers to God on our behalf. Because remember, Jesus is continually praying for you. As soon as you, as soon as you felt in your heart, yes, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Saviour, that moment Jesus started to pray for you. And Jesus is God. He's, he's everywhere present. He's able to pray for every single Christian at once. Something we can't do. And, and we can't get our mind around how that's possible either. How can you pray for everyone at once? But Jesus can. He can intercede for every single one because he's God. He's everywhere present. He's with all of us at the same time. He's with every single believer in the world at the same time. Those joints and ligaments are held together. Now, why I say intercession? Because Jesus' prayer holds us together. So he's like the ligaments and the joints. Now, if Jesus wasn't praying for us, do you think we could still be a church? No, there's no way. If God wasn't behind it, we would not be together. Even though we're a small group, God is praying for us, making sure that we stay together and we stay strong. We, he's supplied by Jesus Christ himself through his intercession, which he continually offers to God on our behalf, and the Holy Spirit who he sent to counsel us into all truth. Remember he said that the Holy Spirit will be our, our holy counsellor and that he will guide us into all truth. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit does in a body of believers. He guides us into all truth. So Ephesians 4.16, For because of him the whole body, the church, in all its various parts, closely joined and firmly knit together, so I'm going back on what we just read, by the joints and ligaments with which it is supplied, when each part 
with power adapted to its need, is working properly in all its functions, grows to full maturity, building itself up in love. Now, that might have gone over most of your heads. But the Lord has supplied each part of the body of Christ with the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember, each part with power adapted to its needs. He's supplied us with the power of the Holy Spirit and he's adapted the Holy Spirit in such a way, Jesus has, as to fulfill the need of that believer. The Holy Spirit will come upon each of us differently. Amen. He doesn't come on Bill the same way as he comes on me. Right? We are saved by the same atonement cover and the Holy Spirit comes upon us and but he comes upon Bill at a different capacity than he comes upon me. And he comes upon Athena at a different capacity than it comes upon Bill. Do you know what I mean? We are all, it's the Holy Spirit adapts himself to us according to our needs. And I've sort of thought about that. I was sitting there just sort of meditating on that for a while. And I'm thinking, yeah, because every time I've preached in a church, which is a, a large church with a lot more people than when I'm preaching in a smaller church, the power of God anoints me differently. I feel a complete change in the way I speak. I don't speak the way I'm speaking right now to a smaller group. When I'm in a larger group, I feel a different anointing. And it's a power of the Holy Spirit adapted to the need. You know, and I speak very differently on Tuesdays, don't I? Tuesday's a very different day. We we all get involved and it's, you know, we have a lot of fun usually and um and it's a very different setting. So the power of the Holy Spirit adapted to the need. And, you know, it'd be crazy for me to come in and be like this on a Tuesday because it's a very different situation. Does that make sense? I just want you to see the meaning of that verse there. So when the church is fully functioning in that power, then the church will grow to full maturity and this will be the result of our sincere love for one another because it says each part with power adapted to its need is working properly. When it's working properly, that's the key word there. If the power of the Spirit is not working properly in the church because, you know, uh, a prophet has been designated a pastor and a teacher has been designated an apostle and an, an evangelist has been functioning as a, as a prophet, or you know what I mean? When all of those offices are out of whack and it's, the Spirit cannot work properly because he's trying to adapt power to something that isn't supposed to have that power. You know what I mean? That office isn't for him. And so the church will function in a way that will cause it to stumble and, and uh, not be effective. If the church is to grow to full maturity, it has to be working properly in the spirit in all its functions, in every element. What that tells me is that the church has got to pray more. If we lack prayer, if we don't walk in enough prayer, if, if we don't read the scriptures enough... Um, you know what I mean, we're not seeking God for what we are meant to be as Christians, then the Spirit can't move properly in us and then therefore the church will be ineffective. So I believe as our church, we've got to pray more. We've got to really seek God. What does God want each and every one of us to do? Help us to function as we should. Amen. It says here right at the bottom, it says, working properly in all its functions, grows to full maturity, building itself up in love. Building itself up in love. Yeah, it's love that builds the church. You can see love nearly if it's, you know, the building love is like the cement. Love is the supporting ligaments and the joints in, in the body, you know. Love and Holy Spirit, is the Holy Spirit love? Of course. Yeah, absolutely. Holy Spirit is love. Are the prayers of Jesus, the intercessions of Jesus, are they filled with love? Yes. 
-hmm. Absolutely. Because he loves his people. So he's praying sincerely for you from heaven. He's praying and praying and praying. He's joining us together. He wants us to grow as a church. He wants us to come to full maturity as long as we walk in him. So John 13, 34 to 35, and he said this. He said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. You know, that's how we keep churches together. You know, the only reason we've been meeting and we stay together is because we love each other. You know what I mean? On the Tuesday, do you feel the love, Chantel, on the yeah. Tuesday? Do you feel the love? Well, there's lots of love there, isn't there? Yeah. But it really is. It's sincere. There is a sincere element of, of love in, in those things, and that's what keeps us together. And, like, if we all hated each other, would anyone come back? Yeah. So we've got to build each other up in love. And, but he says a new command. I want you to catch that. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now there's some real powerful implications in this scripture. And I just want to reveal it. And this is our conclusion. This is a serious issue for the church of Jesus Christ. We are not just encouraged to love one another so that the church functions properly, which is what Paul was saying in Ephesians 4 we were just reading, but Jesus actually commands us to love one another. So this is God saying, guys, love one another. You've got to love one another. Actually, you are commanded to love one another. Now, command is more than just I recommend isn't it? It's not you guys really should try to love one another. No, you better love one another or you're in big trouble, you know, because you'll break one of my laws. And this is a new command. So how many commandments have we got now? Eleven commandments. We've got to love one another. This then means that we'll be judged by both God and men according to how we obeyed this command. Because it says at the bottom here, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now that's interesting because God, God is going to judge us according to how we love one another, right? That's because it's according to the command. If we break the command, He's going to judge us according to breaking that command. So that's that's call for repentance to God. But also men will judge us, and they can say, "Look at you guys! You call yourself a church. You got factions. You're politically like you go to a general annual general meeting. Everyone's fighting and yelling and screaming at each other. The pastor's under stress because of all the infighting going on in the church. You know, and the pastor's given up the the ministry and walked away from it because he can't handle it anymore because you guys can't get along. And then you call yourselves representatives of Jesus on this planet." Do you know how many churches are going down through lack of love? It's incredible. I know of at least half a dozen or more just of late that are falling. And there's churches in the droves like all around the world. I have to get the statistics. I wish I did. I should have actually got the statistics beforehand. But it is quite shocking and alarming how many churches are falling right now. Christians just don't get along. Don't see eye to eye. Because they don't obey a new command that Jesus gave us. They don't love. And the world sits back and laughs and mocks us because of this. And this is a real issue in the church. You know, I'm glad to say we don't have that issue. 
you know, that's a blessing to us. And I know I've heard Joe Schimmel talk about Blessed Hope Chapel in California. He doesn't have that issue. He doesn't have that problem. The support that they show for one another over there, he's saying there was a lady who went in the hospital. And there was that many church visitors coming every single day that the nurses had to step in and say, look, she needs her rest. She's getting too many visitors. And that wasn't from family. That was just from the church. So there's a lot of love and a lot of support. And that's because of, again, Joe Schimmel preaches true doctrine. He's the most doctrinally accurate minister I've ever listened to in years and years and years of listening for a guy who consistently is doctrinally accurate. And the reason is is because his sermons are just filled with Scripture. It's Scripture first in every, every point has a Scripture or two or three for every point. And you cannot go that far wrong if you fill your sermons with Scripture. The problem today is people write sermons but they don't quote many scripture. They might get one scripture and they'll draw a few points from that and then elaborate in their own words too much. But the Bible, if we don't stray far, we won't go far wrong. And then the fruit of that will be unity, love, peace, harmony, joy in the Holy Ghost. Amen? So I believe, as I said before, this is an issue for repentance in the church because we need to love one another. All right, so let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I just pray that this word did not fall on deaf ears. And I pray that uh, every ear that has heard it has been affected positively from it, Lord, and that uh, will take to heart much of what is being said here. I pray for all those that will listen uh, via the internet also, that uh, they'll take it to heart and their Christian life will be blessed as a result and their churches will be blessed and that we'll see churches really functioning in love and knit together by the Holy Spirit and uh, that Lord Jesus, you will be able to express yourself purely through these churches. And so, Lord, we we do, we lift up the church to you, Lord. This church has never been all about itself. It's always been about praying for uh, other churches and uh, and believing for the body of Christ to come to fullness, Lord. Because when it comes down to it, we are all part of the same body. And so, Lord, we pray against deception in the church. We pray against this sweeping deception that's stripping you of so many believers, Lord because of the incorrect doctrine. And we just pray, Lord, that you will open their eyes, that you'll bring them teachers and, and pastors and evangelists and apostles and, and prophets who will speak the truth in love and in all things, that they'll be built up in the faith and they'll walk in the true faith and they'll walk in the fear of you and in the love of you and that we'll see incredible fruit in the body of Christ and the church will become all it was designed to be, all that you died for, Lord. Everything that you did on that cross for the church, Lord, will be uh, outworked in it now. So, Lord, just do an incredible thing in us today. Lord, I pray um, that you'll move in us through this week, that you'll empower us by the Spirit. You'll uh, cause us to walk in more of the love of Christ that will be all that you've called us to be. And we'll live out this life exactly as you would hope, Lord. Help us not to fall. Help us not to walk away from you. Help us not to um, give up meeting together, as the word says. Help us to be a true church uh, in your name. And bless us this week and bless all of all the things that we do, all our um, workplace situations, everything else, Lord. May you help us also to speak to people about you and win some to the faith. We pray this in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen.